Welcome to the Apple for the Teacher podcast, the true crime podcast that features the good apples and the bad apples within the school system. My name is Anna Thomas, a teacher and your host. So join me as I present school stories that are tragic, shocking, unbelievable and outright bizarre. Hello everyone, you're listening to episode 13. The theme of today's stories will be about family. Today I have a very special shout out to the very first person to join the Facebook group. Yippee! So hello to Sherry Kuntz Tracy. So far it's just her and I in the group and we're getting a bit lonely so please come and join us as we'd really like to make some new friends. Also today I have two podcast recommendations to share with you. Formidable and Case Remains, which you'll hear at the end of the first story. Now, my stats show that people are listening to the podcast in, get this, 38 countries. I noticed there are listeners from Poland, so hello to you. I thought I might share some interesting facts about Poland. Poland has the world's biggest castle. Foreign movies and series on TV are dubbed by one man, not by Polish actors, but a single man reading the parts of everyone, including women and children. Now, isn't that interesting? And also, latex condoms were also invented by a Pole. Well, a huge thank you to whoever that person was. Wouldn't you agree, everyone? So there you go, some very interesting facts. Hello to everyone in Poland. I would like to continue to do a country focus each week, so next week it might be the country that you're from. So let's preview today's episodes. Story one is the bad apple and is called We Are Family. It was the first day of a new school year, but the three brothers did not attend. Why? Story two is the good apple. It's called His Father's Son. Manuel went to pick up his son from school but he wasn't there. So where was he? Firstly, allow me to provide a warning. This first story presents a case of murder, suicide and domestic violence, including against children. As always, I will not be providing graphic detail or naming the perpetrator. This case is extremely disturbing, so I strongly recommend listener discretion. This story takes us to Ireland in 2016. It was almost the end of summer, with the new school year starting very soon. Cloda was a primary school teacher. Her husband was a vice principal. They had three boys, Liam, 13, Niall, 11, and Ryan, 6. On the Sunday night, before school was due to start on the Monday, Cloda her husband and three sons visited her mother Mary at her house. They had coffee and biscuits and talked about their son Liam's basketball match that they had been to that day. The family left at around 8pm that night. Cloda told her mother she would see her in the morning to drop off the two younger boys as they didn't have school that day. Now just as a side note, to offer an explanation as to why the boys did not go to school on the first day. I'm not sure if this happens in Ireland, 
but in some places in Australia, the first day after a holiday is for teachers only. So I'm guessing that that's why they weren't going. However, the next day, Clodagh did not arrive at the planned time on the Monday morning and Mary tried to call her. With no answer, she tried calling her husband but received no answer either. So she drove over to the house. On the back door, she saw a blood-stained note which read, Please don't come in. Please call the guardie. The guardie is the name for the Irish police. She recognised the handwriting as being that of Clodagh's husband. She immediately called the guardie, who tragically found all five members of the family deceased. There were two letters left on the table written by Clodagh's husband. The investigation concluded that he had killed his wife and boys and then took his own life. As news of the tragedy filtered through to family, friends and the local community, there were outpourings of total shock and disbelief. He was well respected at his school and in the community, and anyone who knew him had nothing but positive things to say. He was described as a brilliant dad, and everyone was struggling to come to terms with what he had done. Mary was the last person who had contact with the family just the night before the tragedy but could not offer any explanation as to why this happened. She said everything seemed normal. The boys' school books and uniforms were all ready for school. However, Mary did recall, he mentioned, he wasn't looking forward to going back to school the next day because of a meeting he had to attend. But other than that, nothing seemed out of place. The contents of the letters he left in the house, was seized by the guardie and not made public, which only exacerbated the speculation. A family friend stated, quote, There has been a lot of speculation, but we want to stress that what happened was totally out of character for him. The family has no idea why this happened. Clodagh's mother Mary loved him as much as Clodagh, and doted on the grandchildren. They had a great relationship, and she has been left traumatised by what has happened. She is as mystified as everyone else locally and across the country as to why this happened, but she does not want to demonise him in any way. Such was Mary's love for her daughter's husband, whom she had known for 20 years, that she requested all five members of the family be laid to rest together. An inquest was held into the tragedy. The coroner requested Professor Harry Kennedy, clinical director at the Central Mental Hospital, to review the perpetrator's suicide notes and medical records. The records show he had visited a psychotherapist and GP in the months leading up to the event. He had been stressed over an incident at his school involving a conflict with a colleague, and wept openly, saying that people thought he was a pillar of the community, but if only they knew. He had been found to be engaging in a lewd act at school while accessing pornography, and was concerned about his reputation as a result. He had confided this to his wife, 
and had been accessing counselling, but he feared the breakdown of his marriage. The therapist gave this testimony at the inquest, quote, My client had wanted to get his family life back where it was. I believed him to be a good father and husband who placed a very high value on his family, end quote. On the same day he visited his therapist, he also had a consultation with his GP. These were to be the last visits before the murders. He spoke to the GP about having sleep problems due to feeling isolated at work following a conflict with a colleague. She prescribed him with sleeping pills and described his demeanour in the following way. Quote, he seemed clear, coherent, with no agitation, focused, and was of normal behaviour. There was no mention of despair or hopelessness in him, that the work conflict was a great source of stress for him, and that he appeared positive towards going on a holiday. During the inquest, it was discovered that the GP had no knowledge of him also seeing the therapist. After examining all the medical records, Professor Kennedy concluded that long-term depression had progressed to a severe depressive episode with psychotic symptoms. The inquest reached a finding that Clodagh and her three children were unlawfully killed and his death was recorded as a suicide. The family were less than satisfied with the findings of the inquest. They believed the murders were cold and calculated and meticulously planned and not the actions of a person in a severe depressive state. They stated that the legal term unlawful killing seemed inadequate for the scale of the slaughter. While I haven't revealed the details of what happened, I would certainly agree with this statement. They cited the evidence that showed he had transferred a large sum of money from family accounts into his own account after the murders. The suicide note had also been written in advance of the murders, and after the event, he laid out the family's financial files on the kitchen table. He had also cleared his planned murder path of furniture. Mary and Clodagh's sister Jacqueline said this in their statement. While the psychiatrist has attempted at best he could to create a retrospective diagnosis based on items and records, his GP who knew him for five years said he never displayed any signs of depression. The family also added, we are aware that the inquest has a limited role in law in that its function is restricted to establishing the how, where and when our loved one died, but not the why. The parents of the perpetrator did not attend the inquest, instead giving the following statement, quote, Last August we received news that no family should ever have to hear. In one night we lost three beautiful grandchildren, our beloved daughter-in-law and our son. Death's dark door opened and we have struggled over the last 16 months to comprehend how this came to pass. We have had some light shed upon that darkness with the insight gained 
from the thorough examination of the report of Professor Harry Kennedy and his opinion that our son suffered from a severe depressive illness. It does not make the pain and loss any easier for us. We thank all those who have taken the time in the last year to contact us with messages of support and prayer from all parts of the country. They have brought us great solace. Now I'd like to look at the media coverage of the tragedy. Many felt the news of the incident focused too much on the perpetrator and why he did what he did. Some had the view he was being portrayed as a victim of a depressive disorder and that we should not automatically assume that a man who does this to his family is mentally ill. One source was quoted as saying, call it what it was, the most heinous, savage and premeditated murder. He was the pillar of society and was about to experience a fall. He was self-absorbed, self-obsessed. He had been found out and that's why he was stressed. There was a social media outcry following the tragedy, highlighting that Clodagh's name was rarely mentioned in Irish media reports of the incident. A trend started on Twitter with the hashtag, her name was Clodagh. As mentioned earlier, the family decided to bury all five family members together. However, as the details of the tragedy unfolded, over time the family realised the decision was made during a time of immense distress. The details of the suicide letters were not released at that time. Therefore, they were unable to make a measured decision about the funeral. So they requested his body to be exhumed, which was finally granted some 250 days after the funeral. It then took another seven months for the suicide letters to finally be released. I am now going to share the first and only television interview that the family gave in February this year, 2019, some two and a half years after the tragedy. Clodagh's mother Mary and sister Jacqueline had this to say. Clodagh used to go out socialising, but she started doing this less and less, and they saw a gradual change in her over time. Her husband would always go wherever she went. He would always attend if the family went to visit her mother Mary, and they rarely had the chance to have a private conversation together. However, Clodagh had confided in her mother that he admitted to watching porn and started getting counselling. The family said that they want an inquiry opened into the tragedy as so many questions remain unanswered. They have tried to find out more about the alleged incident at school where he was found to be watching porn and engaging in a lewd act, but no one has been prepared to disclose any information about this matter. The Gardee has refused to provide them with the investigation files. They have also requested full transcripts of the counselling sessions, which has also been denied. Despite their efforts, they were informed that a full inquiry has been denied. However, the family continued to be strong advocates against domestic violence, which they say is secretive and controlling. 
They have fundraised for the organisation Women's Aid, which is Ireland's domestic violence service. Following the tragedy, there was a surge for help from the organisation with more use of their website and a significant increase in calls to the 24-hour helpline. Now, I was ready to record this episode, but then I came across the following information from March this year, which is the latest update that I have been able to find out on this story. Clodagh's mother and sister had a meeting with the Justice Minister, Charlie Flanagan, at the Department of Justice in Dublin. It was announced that there would be a new case review, which will look at the Gardaí's response to the deaths. Assistant Commissioner Barry O'Brien has been appointed to conduct the review of the Gardaí's investigation into the tragedy. Needless to say, the family is thrilled at this news. So far, this story has predominantly focused on the perpetrator. But now I would like to end the story on a positive note by providing quotes from those who knew Clodagh, Liam, Niall and Ryan. One past student said this about Clodagh, quote, She taught me in junior infants and then, after that, I had her every day to help me with English and maths. So she was there for me every day. She was just so, so caring. If you had a problem, you could go to her at any time. She was very motherly towards me, always wanting to help me. She was brilliant, end quote. Another quote from the family states, Clodagh was strong and beautiful inside and out and was so loving. She was warm, loving, bright and capable and she was bringing her boys, Liam, Niall and Ryan, up to have those same qualities. They will live on and her strength will live on. At the funeral service, priest Father Kelly stated, quote, The children, gifted pupils, team players, budding leaders, warm friends, what a loss. The priest also told of a visit to the family home one Christmas morning, quote, I know I was calling to see close friends and knew the welcome. Clodagh with her scones, red jam and a mug of coffee. Liam, Niall and Ryan busily like budding engineers building all kinds of Lego. End quote. The following poem was delivered by Jacqueline, Clodagh's sister, at the funeral. It breaks our hearts to lose you all. You didn't go alone. For part of us went with you all the day God called you home. You left us peaceful memories. Your love is still our guide. And although we cannot see you, you are always by our sides. Our family chain is broken and nothing will ever be the same. But as God calls us one by one, the chain will link again. Sleep tight. Allow me now to finish this story with this quote from the journalist Alison Morris of the Irish News about Clodagh, Liam, Niall and Ryan. 
they were victims, their killer was not. This was such a difficult story to tell, but I believe it was important to tell. If it has been difficult for you, please, please seek help. Hello everyone, this is Tyler here at Formidable, a true crime podcast. I want to invite you to come join me as I drop multiple episodes weekly to give you your true crime fix. I am personally a huge fan of true crime, and this is what has pushed me to do this. All of my stories are well-researched, but I do keep them shorter than your average true crime podcast to fit into your daily commute so you don't have to pick back up later. I encourage you to check it out anywhere you listen to your favorite podcast. Just search Formidable, a true crime podcast. And while you're there, be sure to subscribe, follow, and leave a review if you enjoy. You can also find me on Twitter at FormidableTC and on Instagram at Formidable. Hope to see you there. Give it a try. You won't regret it. Case Remains is a true crime podcast dedicated to missing persons and unsolved mysteries. Join me, Beth, every two weeks as we delve into some of the lesser-known unsolved cases from around the world. Until next time, stay safe. This next Good Apple story took place in 2010 in America. Manuel Ramirez was a father who dropped off his nine-year-old son, Enrique, at school. He returned at the end of the day to pick him up, but he wasn't there. His backpack had been left at school. Manuel was estranged from the boy's mother, Claudia. She had been deported to Mexico and Enrique went to live with his father. The mother had contacted the school and said sometime soon she wanted to take Enrique on a trip to Mexico to visit family. But the school did not know she was calling from Mexico and they didn't know that she had been deported. She rang the school again about a month later and said Enrique had a doctor's appointment, but she couldn't take him because she was at work. Instead, she said she would send her boyfriend to pick him up. The school manager took the call, but said the boyfriend was not listed on the records as an authorised person for pickup, but she said he could pick him up as long as he showed identification. When the boyfriend turned up, His ID was not checked, and Enrique was allowed to go with him. The boy recognised the man and seemed happy to see him. Enrique was taken unlawfully to Mexico to live with his mother. Manuel has not seen his son since and filed a lawsuit against the school. The lawsuit claimed negligence on the part of the school. The court case centred around the issue of who is authorised for school pickups and the common issues of parent work schedules, custody orders and splintered families. The school's policy stated, quote, If a student needs to be dismissed during the day, the school will only let him or her be signed out by someone who is listed on the emergency card. We will not release your child to anyone not listed on the emergency card. The school district defended the school by saying, 
the policy does not prohibit verbal authorization by a parent for someone else to pick up the child. The following statement was made by Ken Trump, President of the National School Safety and Security Services. Quote, Family custody issues, not random gun violence, are without a doubt the biggest threat facing elementary schools on a day-to-day basis. These things are so complex. Maintaining that chain of custody of the child is critical. Unfortunately, one mistake can be a matter of life or death. Because of that, school secretaries and principals are typically extremely vigilant about maintaining the letter of the law, and it often comes down to what legal orders they have on file. After a five-day trial, the jury awarded the father $2 million and his son $855,000. The principal was also ordered to pay punitive damages of $3,500 and the office manager had to pay $2. Manuel applauded the jury for its verdict, saying, My mind is at peace. Our voice was heard. I hope from now on this never happens again to another parent. I hope this never happens again in the Escondido School District and as a result, children there will be safer. It has been a long three years. I have so many emotions right now. I only hope that one day I will see my son again. End quote. Manuel's lawyer said, quote, The child abduction unit of the district attorney's office has been asked to help bring back Enrique and was working with Interpol. Manuel was able to send his son a package of clothing. He received a photo back showing Enrique wearing the clothes and was relieved his son was okay. During the trial, the boy's aunt testified that he was missing his half-sister and missing living in the US. I have had my own personal experience with an incident where a child in my class was attempted to be picked up from school. Two ladies came to the door wanting to take one of the boys. The boy recognised them and came to the door, seemingly happy to see them, but I had never seen the women before. I informed them of the procedure where they needed to go to the office and get what we call an early departure slip to bring back to me, and then he would be released. But they never came back. It turned out to be an innocent situation. It was his mother and aunt who the boy didn't live with and they were visiting and wanted to collect him. This situation could have ended much differently if I had not followed the correct procedure. It is, unfortunately, a sign of the times that families have split parenting arrangements and custody orders may also be in place, only allowing authorised individuals access to students. So the procedures must be adhered to. His mother may not have had custody or access to him, and I may have unwittingly released the boy. On another occasion, a mother who I knew well came to collect her child, but she had forgotten the slip, and unfortunately, I had to ask her to go back to the office. She had a pram with a newborn, and I apologised, but said I had to follow the procedure, even though I knew her. 
She was understanding because at the end of the day, the policy was in place for the safety of her child and all children. While this story was a bad apple, at least through winning the lawsuit, Manuel had successfully proven the negligence and raised awareness about the issue, although I am sure he would prefer to have his son return to him. I've tried looking for an update to find out if Enrique has been reunited with his father, but I haven't been able to find anything, but I'm going to certainly keep looking. So if you would like to get in touch with me, you can go to the Facebook page and also Instagram. Apple for the Teacher is now also on Twitter. Now, I've never really been into Twitter just because of the character restriction. I guess it's the teacher in me as I can babble on and on. So Twitter is just too restrictive. But the podcast is now there, so have a look. You can also send me a voice message. I would love to know who you are. And now the way that you do this is on whichever app that you use to listen to the podcast or anywhere else on the internet where you can listen to the podcast. All you have to do is just click on any of the episodes and in the episode description, there is a link that says send voice message. The great thing about this feature is that I can directly put your voice message into an episode so you can actually hear yourself. Isn't that great? I would love to put your voice messages at the end of every episode. So let me know your name and which country you're from. But if you also want to remain anonymous and just say hello, well, that's okay too. I don't think that this has ever been done on a podcast before that people actually can leave a message in an episode. I might not be right, but as far as I know, it hasn't. So I would love for Apple for the Teacher to be a trend setter. So I would love for you to get in touch with me. I'm so looking forward to hearing your voices. So that's almost the end. I'd like to now give you a preview of episode 14. It's called Great Balls of Fire and Mind Games. Here's a summary. The crime was finally solved after 23 years. How? Riley was online gaming with his friends. Was that all that happened? So to end this episode, I will leave you with this quote. Children must be taught how to think, not what to think. Bye for now, and remember to be a good apple.